1: Nick, today's episode of the podcast is presented by Podgo. Nick, funny question. Do you know what Podgo is? <laughs> They're the reason
0: we get paid, man. I'm very familiar with Podgo.
1: <laughs> yeah, we, Podgo, folks, is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters a flat rate for ad space. You always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. All you got to do is apply today to become a member. Uh, Nick, what's the website? Give me the URL real quick for the
0: people. Just podgo.co. P-O-D-G-O.C.O.
1: That's it. Right away. You become a member today. Be sure to add that you heard about this. You heard about podgo and put in can we please talk in that section of the application. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another installment of the Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Saveri. Nikki, my friend,
0: another episode. How are you, sir? How's everything going over there? I'm good, man. I am th- four days removed from my second vaccination, so doing well. That's
1: good to hear, man. Uh, I, ca- You know, I am actually finally scheduled for my vaccine when we start heading back up to the New York area. So I'm very excited for that uh everything's
0: going good family everybody's good healthy it was good yeah my parents finally came over it was a good reunion with the grandkids finally so we're good excited man it's it's springtime baby things Uh, are good up here that's right yeah it's getting warmer better weather um
1: better times ahead especially uh with everything going on with the vaccine rollout um we're going to transition into what i think is a pretty cool topic tonight nick um Let me ask you a question. Okay. I'm going to ask you a series of questions here. You tell me if you've ever done any of these. Mm -hmm. Have you ever climbed Mount Kilimanjaro? Uh, Less than zero times. Less than zero times. Okay. Have you ever gone to South Africa and run with the cheetahs?
0: No, actually I'm a zebra person,
1: person. Oh, you're a zebra person. Okay. That's a great response, Nick. Um, you ever um help out um with the uh the penguins and the missions that are in Africa to help save penguins uh, that are in rescue fires or in oil spills? Anything like that, Nick? The only thing I, I do with is I can do the penguin dance. Okay, okay. Else, all right. But, yeah. All right, corny. Okay, but listen, listen. Wow. All right. I got to hit you with that because tonight we are going to learn how to Explore, my friend. We have a legendary Emmy Award-winning producer, host of Born to Explore. You can check your local listings for when Born to Explore airs, but if you want to watch the episodes, you can watch them on demand on Amazon Prime. He's the host of the podcast Life's Tough, Explorers Are Tougher, and that is none other than Richard Wiest is going to be joining us tonight uh, to really talk about how he became an explorer. You know, we every week... Oh, we've been talking, Nick and I, we we want to educate our our audience on a different topic, an interesting topic, right? And offer a conversation about it. I know nothing about exploration, why people become explorers, uh, and some of the missions behind actually exploring, and some of the things that, that Richard does, especially with the Cheetah Conservation uh, Society. Um, so there's so much to the exploration game, but then also um, what's been happening with COVID. Travel has been limited. So how has that kind of impacted him? His podcast also is very interesting. Some of the people that he, have, he has had on in the exploration game, let's call it, for lack of a better term. Uh, Nick, I know you've, you've watched some of Richard's content, especially some of the episodes from Born to Explore. What do you make of the topic overall and, and Richard's work?
0: I mean, it's extraordinary. I mean, we're talking about traveling the world. You know, we, I know you're in the process of heading back to New York, right? You know, and I've, I've done some traveling in my my life, you know, mostly before the kids were born. Um, But, you know, Richard, I mean, Richard's an adventurer. That's actually what we're talking about. So, you know, through him, we're talking about someone who has, you know, just traveled through mountains, who's gone through all kinds of terrains. And really is a perfect example of like, what does earth have to offer? And that sounds crazy to say it like that, but there's so many different areas. Like talking to him is almost like having someone just take you through the, the planet earth you know, series. Um, I mean, he's been everywhere literally.
1: Yeah, no, he has. I mean, let me give you some places he's been to Chile, uh, India, Nambia, Nepal, South Africa, uh, Tanzania. He has been to so many different places. Has done so many different things. Um, and like I said, we're going to get into so much with him today because, you know, I've traveled as well, you know. I've been to Europe and things like that, in Canada, Mexico. But um, in terms of, you know, uh, seeing dangerous animals up close, specifically, he has been around cheetahs, zebras, mountain lions. Um, I've never done any of that. You've never done any of that. The average person has probably never done any of that. Uh, climbing Mount Kilimanjaro 11 times, you know, so he, he can do it once. He did it it 10 more times. And that thrill seeking adventure, like, what is that like? What does that look like? He can kind of, you know, let us in on the secret sauce of how you, you know, get your body ready to do something like that. So we're very excited. I can't wait to talk to Richard today. All right, Nick, like we mentioned at the top, Tonight's topic is really about exploration. There's nobody better than our next guest, and he is the host of Born to Explore on PBS. You can catch some of the episodes on demand on Amazon Prime. He's also the host of a fantastic podcast called Life's Tough, Explorers are Tougher, and that is nobody better than Richard Weiss. Mr. Weiss, Mike Leon, Nick Savary. thank you so much for hopping on with us today.
2: Hi, guys. Uh, great to be on. Thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for being with us. We, we really don't know anything about exploring. Uh, Nick and I work in tech. Nick is in education. So before we get into the topic of exploration tonight, um, I would love for you, you to tell our audience a little bit more about yourself. Uh, tell us about your upbringing and what made you want to get into adventure and exploration.
2: Well, you know, I think you probably have done more exploring than you think because the main ingredient that all explorers have is curiosity. And one of the traits of explorers, too, are their storytellers. So you guys are already in that business. I have a theory that ever since people came out of trees or out of caves, there was always that intrepid soul who was wondering what was beyond the ocean, lake, mountaintop. They'd come back, stand over a fire and say, you'll never guess what happened to me. You'll never guess what I saw. And then they said, can we please talk? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I hope but they but said I, that and, and
1: leave us a review. Well, I, I don't
2: know about that, but you know, I, I'd like to ha- have some creative license with that. Right. So, you know, the, the story of exploration really is the sto- story of humankind. Um, my own personal story uh, comes with two very influential people in my life. Uh, one being my father, my father, um, Richard Weiss. Also uh, he was the first man to solo the Pacific ocean in an airplane I was lucky he was a Pan Am uh, captain. He flew a 747. And, uh, you know, the language I spoke with my father, um, he wasn't so much into sports, although I was. You know, we talk about the weather. We'd stand out on the lawn, look at the sky. He knew celestial navigation. And uh, the other big influence was my mother's brother, Dr. Richard Lanza, MIT nuclear physicist. And, um, you know, He came from an immigrant uh, background where uh, my Italian relatives on his his side, although smart, weren't educated. And, you know, here's this guy who was a genius in a family, and he always had the time for me. And and one of the things I always admired about my uncle and still to this day is that he could really speak in a layperson's uh, terminology. He made everybody, whether it was a guy cleaning the streets, feel like he was talking to them And at their level, never patronizing. So he was the original science communicator in my life. And then, you know, the other um, convergence of of opportunity for me was I lived in an area with not a lot of kids, a lot of woods, uh, beaches. And, you know, being inside really was something that happened when you were punished. And I was just outside, always exploring, digging for things, diving, um, you know just always doing that kind of stuff. I I just always wanted to see more of uh, the earth. I was lucky again to have another mentor. One of my sisters brought home a guy. Uh, They ended up not dating, but he was the town uh, conservation officer who was building an artificial reef in the Long Island Sound. And he was like, hey, you know, you want to help me go diving? And I was so psyched to be brought into that kind of fold where I was out on a scuba project, building an artificial reef. And um, it may not have been a big deal to him at the time, but man, I I was just loving it. And then uh, I got my education at Brown university. I was a science major. And uh, you know, one thing led to another. And then uh, in the, I guess sometime in the mid 1980s, I found a place called the explorers club. Uh, when I was living in New York City, I used to love to go to lectures, hear really smart people in all different fields um, speak. And when I got to the Explorers Club, I was like, this is my tribe, these are my people. You know, they could talk about places that I knew about, maybe had been, and uh, their membership was unbelievable. It was like the first men to the North Pole, first to the South Pole, first guys on the moon. I mean, for me, going into the clubhouse they had on the Upper East Side of Manhattan was like Harry Potter's Hogwarts. It was magic. I heard people talking about magic. The only thing is they really did do those things. And then, you know, one thing leads to another. Um, I, I think that so much of my life, great things have come as a result of being a volunteer on many things. I met my wife through volunteering on something. I, um, you know, I, I just, for whatever reason, in the Explorers Club, um, kept going up uh, the, the ladder. And uh, in 2002, I was elected the youngest president ever in the history of this club. And we're talking about a club with Theodore Roosevelt and Neil Armstrong and Jane Goodall. And then more recently in 2018, I was elected for a second set of uh, terms. And at this point, I've been the longest serving president in its 117 year history and that organization has given me the opportunity to just meet my childhood heroes and so you know the the idea of having a television show or a podcast or radio show man that's just fun it's 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 going places that i like going and it's talking to people i want to talk to and it's a subject that i'm very enthusiastic about and i know that's a long-winded answer so no.
0: No, it's, it, it's the best answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Richard, you know, thinking of yourself as the explorer, who you are now in 2021, you, know, you think about when you first made your trek out there and you talked about growing up and just what does exploring mean just in, in real time for you? But when you set off on your course to start you know, really traveling the world, what would you say back to that person who first took their first step and started venturing out into places just undreamed of?
2: Well, you know, an interesting thing happens to guys. Like the first time I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, I was 11 years old. And so that's pretty old. Uh, sorry, pretty young to, to do something like that, because when I look at kids where I live and I actually have two 11 year old boys, kids today are raised like little veals and sort of, uh, you know, protected crates, milk fed and 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 they don't, you know, do things that adventurous without a lot of supervision. Um, but I think where life started changing for me is um, when I got married, had kids, I had a very socially conscious wife from South Africa who'd start the Africa Foundation when she was like 21 years old. And so my journey became less about me rushing to the top of a mountain or diving someplace and beating my chest. And I became more interested in the people that um, lived in these places and the stories that they had to tell. I think that uh, you become a vastly more interesting person because it's it's not the ego or trying to always prove something. And so I think that um, what I would say to my younger self is it's not all about you. And as soon as you figure out that it's not about you, you actually become a better you. Right.
1: You know, Richard, before you came on, we were talking about some of the places you've traveled to, you know, Chile, India, uh, Tanzania, you know, just some crazy places. Uh, I, you mentioned South Africa and you met your wife there. The, I think the episode I was watching recently, you were doing something with the penguins in South Africa and that... And that um, that place that helps out penguins that have been under distress or or are found in the oil spillages. Um, I'm curious as to, and I'm sure everybody who would be listening to this, watching this, uh, what's something that has crazy to the common person that's happened on these adventures that maybe wasn't shown on on the show, uh, something that had happened to you where you're like, I can't believe that that just happened to us right now.
2: Yeah. You know, there's always the behind the scenes that when the camera stops and you know, the crew I traveled with, I thought, was always a very socially conscious uh, film crew. I, you know, I went and filmed hundreds of episodes with the same people. And, you know, when the camera's off and you're sitting around, instead of what would be typically thought of a film crew doing, they were talking about the experience or the person they met or what they had just seen. But I think that... Um, You know, people will always ask you your best this or that favorite place. That's very hard to say. But there are a couple experiences that are so big that even if you're not religious, you just can't help but feel there's something bigger. And uh, the two things that come top of mind are seeing a really great aurora borealis, uh, the northern lights. And I could just see how people in the northern climates in the Arctic would have, you know, found God in that. It's just when you see these lights just dancing and and changing shapes and, you know, just the snow glowing from those things, it's just on a whole other level of surreal. I think uh, I was lucky uh, a few years ago to get hired by CNN to do coverage of the eclipse, which a lot of people um, that was a great day for citizen science. But in that moment of to- totality, the hundred percent clips, suddenly something happens. 99% is interesting. A hundred percent is, in, first of all, the earth and the moon, the fact that they're almost exactly the same size, nowhere else in the known universe that happens, you know, that the apparent size of the moon and the sun are the same. So when they crisscross, this is perfect dome, but the, um, temperature, it's like somebody suddenly dropped the temperature 15 degrees and and literally turned a light switch out. And you, you suddenly see stars around where the sun was. And, you know, I had enough presence of mind to know that I wanted to see Mercury because you almost never see Mercury in the sky and I could see it next to the sun. But I could see how an ancient civilization or group would have honestly thought the world was ending it just seems so bizarrely wrong. And then, you know, obviously big animal migrations are great. And then I've, I've just had experiences with people who have overcome the most incredible obstacles. Um, Africa always comes to mind because I, I, I've always been so impressed by the creativity of people there and how they find joy when so many other things had been taken away from them that they they're able to still find a bunch of bottle caps and create something totally creative. And that, that tells me a lot about the human uh, spirit. Richard,
0: you're a perfect person to ask this question to, you know, you're what is your bucket list look like considering everywhere you've been and everything you've done,
2: what remains on it? Well, you know, when you travel a lot and people, there is no person who's been everywhere. And I, I once uh, met this guy who was very anxious to meet me because He had visited um, every country in the world in something like a a 15-month period. And he was so impressed with that. And I thought to myself, this is actually pathetic because what did he actually see other than an airport, get his passport stamped and moved on? And so what I find is that there are social, cultural, events that happen in so many places in the world that are so profoundly moving. Um, I could take places in the United States that are even urbanized. Um, for example, I, I was filming in New York City. I wanted to do something or portray New York City in a way that people hadn't seen. And that, that's a pretty tall order, order, right? So I got a really good friend of mine, Ken LaCovera. He's a paleontologist. He discovered the largest di- largest dinosaur ever. And we decided we were gonna go fossil hunting in all five boroughs and take in cultural events. So we went foraging with some guy in Central Park. Uh, I I did some stuff with the Hasidic Jews in Brooklyn. Um, I In Queens, uh, I did something with a a Korean dance troupe. Um, And so I took in all these wonderful cultural aspects and we went fossil hunting uh, to boot. And I thought that was a pretty great day And then you could go to some place like Nashville, Tennessee. And, you know, there's something in the water there that has created a type of music and vibe. And that may not sound like a a far flung adventure. But if you think about all the languages spoken on Earth it's probably about 6000 spoken. The languages of art, music, dance, uh, food. Uh, nature are all international nonverbal languages that we all share. I could sit across from somebody in India, share a meal, not speak the language, but somehow come to some sort of understanding and appreciation of of their culture and how they do things in life.
1: Richard, you know, um, obviously we talked about all these places that you've traveled to. And with the global pandemic last year, and of course, into this year, and How has that really hurt your travel schedule, filming for the show? What are some things that you have done to kind of, you know, uh, supplant that or at least, you know, fill that itch? I know it's tough to do it in a virtual world, but over Zoom, uh, like we're doing this uh, podcast. So how have you been able to adjust to not being able to travel?
2: Well, I mean, first of all, um, who knew what Zoom was a year and a half ago and the fact that we're looking at each other and speaking to us, I think it's really great. I, it, it so beats a phone call, right? Because you actually see the nonverbal communication of a person. And so I've gotten a chance to meet a lot of people, especially explorers that, you know, I might see their name in print or, or, or you know, meet them at a cocktail party, shake hands and, and you know, kind of have cocktail party talk. So I think that people have gotten the time to meet some people uh, vis-a-vis that um, my family I live in Connecticut I have three children and uh, a wife and you know we started having a ritual around a fire pit outside and that was really wonderful um, obviously from a uh, financial standpoint I can't film any of these places but you know that, that that's a finite time and at the Explorers Club there were certain things we did we got to look at ourselves critically and say, who do we want to be? And I had the time to meet with people and large groups of people. And, and, and I just want to tell you a quick story of something we're so proud of um, about, oh, I guess right at the beginning of the pandemic uh, someone had said, Hey, you got to see this poem called earth rise. It's about this from this young poet named Amanda Gorman and that, it talks about uh, the Apollo 8 people and what they saw. And so here I see this young woman just given the most, you know, unbelievable performance about this. And I said, I've got I've got to, you know, uh, write to her and say, hey, listen, you're reaching a whole group of people who would never have thought about the moon or the Apollo 8 people um, mission so we wrote we had a correspondence and i asked her if she'd like to be a member of the explorers club and she was like wow it's unbelievable She goes, i can't afford it i said don't worry i'll pay for your um your your membership and we started a nice correspondence but then i thought you know how many amanda gormans are out there people who you'd have no idea who they were who are communicating nature or research and so we started this um, program called the Explorers Club 50. And the slogan I made up was 50 people who are changing the world that the world needs to know about. And uh, one of the criteria was that you couldn't be a well-known explorer. And so that that took a lot of self-serving nominations out of there. And we had uh, 400 and something nominations from our members. The, um, the uh, way it just sort of, ended out was we had um, Inuit people, we had Native American people, we had uh, a marine biologist from Sri Lanka. I had several people from India who were experts on things. And it was such a wonderfully diverse group of people. And I got them all together on a Zoom call, at least 35 out of the 50. And they all did like a minute at the mic. And they were just all so blown away by other people kind of like them. And I thought, you know, this is such a wonderful uh, idea for the Explorers Club, which is mostly perceived as a older white male organization. And I thought, you know, out of all the great reasons to do something like the, that the selfish reason of making it a more interesting place or at least a more interesting place for the explorers club to be and so i said you know um the explorers club should be a platform for anybody who b- believes in the religion of science and exploration and so we took it an, another step f- uh forward and we did an lgbt um a seminar, which was really interesting. That was a, a get, again, a group of people who didn't have the freedom to fully express themselves because of, you know, fear of a lot of things. And uh, I just had one on last Monday night about exploring disabilities. And I spoke to, a, you know, a guy who got certified in scuba diving who is paralyzed from the neck down. And so um, we did this in, a, in an authentic and, um, organic way, it's not like we had a focus group come in and say you ought to do this. And, and I'm just so pleased how em, embraced, how the club embraced this kind of change and the idea of of having a real world exploration center that is made up with a lot of different kinds of people. And, and, and so that made me, that was one of the joys of the pandemic. I wouldn't wish the pandemic again on anybody but the idea of any crisis is to come out of it better than when you started.
0: You're speaking, obviously, Richard, to inclusion. Um, and you know the examples you share speak to just the ability to advance diversity in a, in a space and exploring that often is considered a white space. Uh, Richard, going forward, what do you hope for the Explorers Club to, to- further that opportunity to make the uh, conversation, the idea of exploring more attainable, more just realistic to to people of color and in general, in the world of adventuring.
2: It's a good question. And so I think the the one aspect of the question that wasn't included was inclusion because um, one of the aspects I've come to realize in self-examination is to say, and, and, you know, I'll just use race as an example. For example, people live in, you know, enclaves. I live in a place called Weston, Connecticut. Beautiful place in Connecticut, about an hour and 15 minutes out of New York City. Very wealthy, very white. And to the T, almost anybody will say, hey, I don't care if a black family moves next to me or an Asian family. And so that's not, not enough because you have to ask yourself, why don't I see wealthy black or Asian families moving here now? They can afford to live there. So why? what is it about what they feel or the lack of vibe when they come to my town? And so um, uh, a a now friend of mine, who's the head of our diversity inclusion person, a solo hiker named J.R. Harris, who's very wise man. He's an African-American guy from uh, Queens said to me when he used to come to the the Explorers Club, he'd sort of stand in a corner, didn't feel super welcome. And, um, you know, part of it was maybe him and part of it was that people weren't extending. So I think that when we bring in new members, you know, white, black, green or purple, you have to make them feel part of that family. And that sort of goes into... You know, how do you run an organization? How do you do you um, let people see that there are other people like them? You know, for example, I know a guy in uh, Rockaway Beach. This is off Long Island by Kennedy Airport. There's a, you know, housing projects all over there. They're right on the ocean. And so this guy started something called the Black Surfers Association because you have thousands of kids, African-American kids who never go near the water. And so why? Not because it's far, it's right there. They just don't know anybody like them who does that. And so, you know, if you take that to exploration, part of the Indiana Jones kind of um, story was a guy like me would go to some far-flung country, bring back objects and say, hey, you know, Nepal is like this and the people are like that. The mind shift now is that you want cultures to tell their own story. And so uh, I think we're getting there, Um, you know, for a lot of reasons. I think, uh, again, uh, even though explorers are very alpha driven people, um, you know, really tough nosed, I think they all realize that idea that great ideas emanate from all corners. Um, They you know, just because you're poor doesn't mean you're stupid and you don't see the world around you and you don't notice things, you know, there, there is wisdom from every place. I mean, let's face it. Um, if you go to New York City, do you want a guide from Germany or do you want a guide from New York City? If you're going to uh, Tanzania, uh, you know, who do you want your guide to be? You want a guide, the local guide. So, um, you know, that's my dream for the Explorers Club, that they'll continue to grow um, that people will start believing in science and, and science is what made humanity thrive. It took us out of caves to permanent residence, And, you know, I, I believe that science may have made a mess of the world or humans have, but it's, it's maybe going to save us too. Richard,
1: of all the things that you have done, I talked about it before, uh, w- with the stuff that you do with the penguins, I know how much you work with the cheetahs and the conservation for cheetahs. Um, What has been the most fulfilling part of, of some of these episodes that you filmed or some of the work that you've done with the Explorers Club?
2: So with the Explorers Club, again, things of recent for me that have been very satisfying um, is that diversity inclusion group, bringing people who may not have known about it or could afford to it. Um, We also uh, again, just days before the pandemic started, we, Got uh, discovery to ink a one million dollar a year grant program that makes the explorers have is a significant player in giving field grants to people. So I felt really good about that. And then you know when I'm filming, what also makes you feel good is that when you can lend voice to a group that many people don't know about. And I remember once visiting a um, a Berber village high in the Atlas Mountains. And I said to them at the end, is there anything I can do for you? And the guy said, you know, um, we don't have blankets for everybody here in the winter. And I said, what would it cost to get, you know, whatever amount you need? Ended up being like $500, but you know, good I felt. And we didn't film this or talk about it. I just bought the village enough blankets to make their day or or night better. And so, you know, this this small acts of kindness like that, that you feel really good about it. And, uh, you know, whilst you might say I am giving them something material, what I took away was so much greater.
0: Richard, you're hitting on, you know, just humanitarian efforts. Um, You know, when we think of the Explorers Club, and to your point, it's no longer about taking and sort of, checking things off the list but what is the contribution back to humanity just to the planet itself and and something i, I want to hear is you know for for people like mike myself you know just you know just you know our adventures right now are primarily with our kids and obviously the same for you too but um what can what are the opportunities for just all of us you know but Beyond traveling, but just to make a diff- uh, to make a difference in the world, what are potentially organizations you'd recommend, or just efforts that we can all do to to be more mindful of the planet moving forward?
2: Yeah, so right now the at least America is suffering from nature deficit disorder. Like I'm an outdoorsy guy, and I have a hard time getting my boys off of their video games. We're in the first time in history that. It was more interesting for kids anywhere in the world to be inside than outside. It was punishment when I was a kid. And so when you are dealing in this fantasy world, you don't have compassion because you're not, you know, everything is illusionary, a mountain, a group of people, an animal. And so the best thing anybody can do if you have kids, like one of my favorite things to do with my kids is that I like going at low tide to these giant tidal pools that are, you know, at least where I am in Connecticut, they're all over the the country. If you live on the coast and I take, we go tide pooling. And the great thing about low tide is it's a short period. There really are no rules because there's nothing you can break. You just have to be respectful to nature. Maybe my kids kick a soccer ball around or make a little crab, uh, fortress out of sand. Uh, you know, maybe I just take pictures, but I feel that I, I, after that moment feel more vested in that natural part of the world and so you don't have to be a great explorer to explore you know when you stand out and you 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 look at the stars or the sun and trees and you plant things those are all things that contribute to a greater good you know not everybody has that capacity but we all have the capacity to enjoy the things right outside our doorstep and make that better
1: Richard, before we let you go, uh, obviously, you mentioned podcasting. Uh, you're on a podcast, yep. so you have your own. Sure. Life's tough. Explorers are tougher. So tell us a little bit about that podcast and how it's been being a podcaster.
2: You know, it, it's fun because uh, you, the commute is great. <laughs> and <laughs> and um, so mine is, I'm just calling up friends. I had uh, recently Kathy Sullivan, first American woman to walk in space I had a, another guy named Victor Vescovo is the first person to uh, dive to the deepest point in every ocean. I've had a guy who was the inspiration for Red October. He's a nuclear sub captain. But, but and and I feel like in every field people have a common language. If you get a bunch of photographers around, you get podcasters. People talk a certain language. I know these people's language, and so it's more than just um, idle worship like wow that's so cool i kind of know uh the path that they've been on and the direction and so i have really enjoyed it because it's uh, a conversation among friends um you know i think with podcasting the challenge is versus taping something is you've got to get a guest up to speed right out of the gates otherwise you don't want to spend three quarters of the interview just getting the person to be to the point where you wanted them to start so that's a little bit of a challenge, but, um, and you know, as you can tell, I'm, I'm a bit of a talker, so it's a good exercise to be a listener, uh, and react off of their questions, but, uh, I'm enjoying it. Uh, you know, to, to where all these podcasts go, who knows, but, uh, you know, it, it's kind of fun to have, uh, Uh, conversations that you'll think about afterwards.
1: That is very well said. That's exactly why we started this show, to learn about some interesting topics and have thoughtful dialogue about it. You guys got
2: great podcast voices. I have to tell you right off the bat. And, you know, Very kind, thank you, sir. For TV, maybe.
1: Well, I mean, I I've worked in television for twenty years. I can tell, man. You you, you know, you got it going there. Nick (laughs) has done local radio as well. We both are school of journalism communication majors from Rutgers, so we appreciate that. That will be the soundbite that we use. Obviously, Uh, (laughs) you can check out Life's Tough. (laughs) Explorers are tougher wherever you get your podcast. You can also check out Born to Explore, folks. I just watched season three on Amazon Prime, but you could check it out on PBS or check your local listings. Richard Weiss, thank you so much for being on the program tonight, sir. All the best to you and your family. Stay safe and continue success.
2: Uh, Thank you very much. You guys were a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed the experience.
1: All right, that was Richard Weiss. Like I mentioned, uh, Born to Explore. Check your local listings. You can find those episodes. You can check them out on Amazon Prime season one through three is there. Uh, the podcast, like I mentioned, Life's Tough, Explorers Are Tougher, uh, a fantastic series. If you really want to learn what some of these people, and he mentioned it's a bunch of his friends, but what some of these people in this field do, uh, it's a great podcast to learn about. Uh, you know, Nick, what'd you think of some of the stuff that richard told us about you know just that maybe you do have uh that ability to be an explorer an adventurer inside of you and he talked about you know the it's typically there's, there's not that much diversity in the exploration adventure game and they're trying to work on diversity and inclusion i thought some of that stuff was really interesting what'd
0: you make of of richard and everything that he's doing you know this might this might be the first time where i've gone into an interview where I have a lot of preconceived notions about this person. Because when I think about explorers, like, I think about people, um, you know, if you could do the voiceovers for all these nature programs and stuff. Right. Anyway, and they can be, you know, they can be a little like just like stodgy, I guess is the word I'm thinking about. Um, I mean, they're brilliant people. They're very, you know, worldly, but, but they're not going to kind of speak at you from just sort of like a person to person, just from like a, hey, we're just two people talking. And Richard did that. I mean, I think you you hit it on a moment ago. But you know, the concept of of just basic ways to explore. He talks about just simple ways that he's doing that with his kids, trying to do that. You know, coming out of the pandemic, uh, and opportunities for any of us. You know, you and I, obviously, with kids as well. You know, this concept of adventuring is more attainable than we think. And here, here's a guy who's currently the president of the Explorers Club Club, telling us it's not so much what you all thought. It's not about. You know, getting all over the world and you know, having to film all these documentaries, which he obviously does and does great programming, but it's, it's something that lives right outside your door. Right. So he, he made exploring very attainable. And that was something I was not anticipating in this conversation. So I was just, I was blown away by just how approachable he was and how practical he was about adventuring and, and just you know, being a traveler. Now, I'm telling you,
1: if if you go on to Amazon Prime now, folks, and check out the seasons, um, I, I was able to watch a couple episodes recently. I was just blown away by you know first off i'm enamored with travel and and seeing him in south africa and and there was something there like i mentioned with rescuing penguins that have been through oil spillages and what they do in the process and he really takes the time to explain a lot of this stuff he's done a lot you know in the in the cheater conservation space i learned recently that cheaters could be become extinct within the next 15 to 20 years so um just factoids like that when you're learning about you know, some of these animals or some of the places that he travels to. He's talked about some of the personal stories. So um, check out everything that Richard's doing. Check out that podcast. Life's tough. Explorers are tougher and born to explore. Just check your local listings or head to Amazon Prime. You can watch the episodes. Speaking of episodes, you can watch. Uh, you head over to YouTube, Nick's pointing down, smashing the subscribe you know button up. for our video watchers, audio, all the podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google recently launched on Amazon Music. So just say, Alexa, play Can We Please Talk podcast and it should come right up. It works. Uh, as always, I am Mike Leon. And I'm about to go talk to Alexa to hear my voice back at me, Nick Saberi. <laughs> Don't forget to check us out. IG, Twitter, TikTok at Can We Please Talk podcast. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>